All right, and we're back with episode four with on the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Allen, and I'll be your host tonight. And I'm here alongside, as always, with my partner in crime, Adam Wildey, and we have uh, Nathan Powell from DLF uh, here to talk with us tonight about Devi. So first and foremost, uh, Adam, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Excited to get into Devi, topic I'm excited to learn about. Uh, exactly. I mean, I've I've heard uh, folks like uh, the great Scott Fish uh, talk about it on some other podcasts, but I have absolutely no idea how you get into something like this. And, and I really want to try and understand the nuts and bolts, uh, you know, of the of that particular format. So that's why we have Mr. Powell on with us tonight. So, Nathan, how are you doing, man? And can you give us a little bit about what you do? Well, first, I want to start the show by saying um, this is the trust tree. And I thought that Adam's last name was Wild. And the fact, that it's, the, the fact that it's Wildy kind of threw me off there. So. That happens. Actually, uh, when we, we spoke with uh, Tom and Adam, what, how, do we, how do we say Tom's last name? Kislingbury? Kislingbury. There we go. Yeah, and we spoke with is. him over the weekend, and we had the exact same uh, you know, type of conversation. So that, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Excited to talk some Devi. Uh, you know, this is a really cool podcast you guys got going just to, you know, introduce the, the different aspects of Dynasty to people. That's exactly what we want to do here. And I'm hoping that, uh, you know, as folks start to get to, get into the podcast, uh, they're starting to learn a little bit more about each of the different formats when it comes to Dynasty. And as I've said throughout each podcast, you know, I'm very new to Dynasty in and of itself. So while you guys are teaching everybody else that's listening, you guys are teaching me. So this is kind of a win-win for me, uh, to be quite honest with you. We've discussed standard formats, 2QB and Superflex, uh, IDP, but I mean, now that we're getting into Devi, so can you, can you give us a description of what Devi is and kind of how it works? So Devi is basically a farm system for your dynasty team. You're, you're selecting players that are currently playing in college football, and they're not scoring points for your fantasy football team, but they're sitting there basically on your bench waiting to score points in future years. You know, there are guys that acquired Saquon Barkley three years ago for, for on the cheap, and now they're going to reap the rewards of that three years later. There's guys that people get, you know, a year before they come out of college, and they reap the rewards that way. So it's definitely a, a waiting game when it comes to Debbie Dynasty Fantasy Football. But it's, it's a way to get more involved in, A, college football, and B, just having a deeper dynasty league in general. And now that sounds, to me, that's really interesting to think that somebody could have seen Saquon Barkley coming so far in advance. I mean, maybe not they knew he was going to be this hyped, but to see a player like that so far in advance and to have them on their team so now there's kind of walking into a high-value draft pick. That just seems amazing to me. So when it comes to that particular format, are there typical roster sizes or how you set up your, how you set up your draft? Or you know, can you give us a, you know, a basics in terms of how you would set up that farm system? Yeah, it's interesting because you talked about, you talked about IDP last week. And, you know, people will say that there's no true standard IDP. There are so many different ways to play the game. And it's not quite as, di- uh, as different as IDP, but Debbie, there's a lot of ways to play uh, Debbie where you can go more of a shallow league where it's two to three uh, players per, per team per year, or maybe a deeper. I, I play in one Debbie league that enters uh, 10 rounds per year. So it, it definitely can impact, you know, how you approach the league and approach Debbie based on how many are coming into the league each year, um, based on how many teams and just how many uh, players per team. 
Now, with that being said, so when you're talking about the number of rounds, like, so are you drafting at the same time as you would uh, do a typical dynasty draft or would it occur around like a specific event? Like, you know, some folks like to do their dynasty drafts, like, you know, somewhere around the actual NFL draft. Would you do the same thing for Debbie, like around National Signing Day or can it happen kind of whenever? It's definitely fluid. It can happen throughout the offseason. I I use it in my Debbie leagues more as hey, let's fill this open time in the offseason, whether it's February, March, April, before the NFL draft, or you can use it after the rookie drafts have happened. You know, people are in summer camp as far as the college game, training camp is opening. During that dead space, of, there's not really much going on in fantasy. Uh, so, you know, the, the way to fill time, is, you know, a Debbie draft trip typically only lasts, you know, maybe a week or two at, at the most. So it, it's just a way to fill time for the most part. So, Nathan, uh, do you feel like being involved in the Devi Leagues has provided a a strategic advantage towards your non-Devi Dynasty Leagues at all? No, I think that it hurts my non-Devi Dynasty Leagues in a large fashion um, for a couple of reasons. It it gets me so hyped. For for example, I've been hyped about the 2019 wide receiver class for like 18 months. And I've been wanting to acquire 2019 picks forever. And so I've been trying to do that, and it's been hurting my my points in in the short term. And then the other point of that is that you get so attached, especially your guy. So let's say, for example, you got Saquon Barkley three years ago. You are so in love with Saquon Barkley because you got him cheap that you're now in your normal leagues like, oh, I need to get him in this league, so I'm going to pay 18 different firsts for him. So I, the, the best example of a failure of that is Laquan Treadwell. Um, lots of people got him in their Debbie leagues, and then they end up, you know, continue being in love with him as he entered the NFL draft and, you know, taking him at that 102, 103 range after Ezekiel Elliott in that draft. So I think that more than anything, it, it gives you a bias that can hurt your game. But it does give you an advantage of maybe you'll know the third and fourth round rookies a little better than the non-Debbie player. Right, and I you kind of took it the opposite direction than I thought you would, which makes a ton of sense because you kind of keep yourself in a steady rebuild in a Debbie league when you really get into it. Um, the perspective I took for it was that you were going to know these prospects way earlier than us, but I guess you still have the same amount of data the same amount of film available to you but we're just playing catch up if we didn't play Debbie so you could look at it from uh, both sides of the coin that maybe you're a little more familiar with all of these guys throughout the draft that we're just catching up on at this point yeah and I'm, I'm a big believer in that you can consume too much information come draft time and whether it's film or analytics when it comes down to it draft capital is really all that matters. I mean, that's, it's not really quite that simple, but like if you only use draft capital, you're going to be successful more often than not. And when you're, you know, you bring in Debbie and all those things, it impacts the way you're thinking of who you're going to draft. So I got like DJ Moore. He's a guy that I'm not as excited about simply because I haven't had him in a Debbie league. Whereas Cortland Sutton or Calvin Ridley is a guy that has been owned in Debbie leagues. And I've been, I've known his name for a couple more years. So just simply because I didn't know DJ, DJ Moore's name like six months ago, doesn't mean that he's a be- not a better prospect than Sutton or Ridley. Now, that's interesting because I do believe that some folks are, do get those biases like once they start digging into a player. So that actually makes 100% sense that once you start looking at a player so far in advance, you kind of get the sense that, okay, well, this guy's going to be big. It's, you know, and the hype continues to roll. And then once it, you know, once it gets into the point where they're, you know, in actually into the league, now it's like, okay, well, now I have you know, this treasure trove of players that I've been watching since, you know, who knows, because I, I know that, uh, Adam spoke with the Scott Fish, and I believe that he picked up Robert Woods. What in when he was still in high school? Is that yeah, is that coming, right, Adam? 
Yep, yeah. coming out of high school, Scott said he drafted him, and uh, I didn't believe him, so he provided proof uh, that is accurate. Yeah, no, no, Scott, Scott drafted Adrian Peterson a senior year of high school, so that's how old Scott is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I wasn't going to throw that one. <laughs> <laughs> so now, do you have a similar story? I mean, is there somebody that you, uh, you, know, that you picked up that you're just you know, a prominent player that's currently in the league that you picked up like that early? Uh, I mean, I, I don't have quite as much Debbie. I mean, I started playing Debbie around five, six years ago. So, I mean, I, I selected Josh Rosen in a Debbie draft right before he um, entered the NFL, I mean, entered college. Um, I've taken a few other freshmen, but I, I've never entered a league where you could select high school seniors. So that's a bit of a more more of a challenging concept. I, I don't think I'm going to dive into that anytime soon. It, it sounds like it. I mean, just the just the mere thought of having to do something like that is it, it's mind blowing to me that you would be paying attention to players that early on in their, I mean, not even their professional career, their athletic career. I mean, before they even get into you know what, where we where we're seeing them at today. They're, they're just trying to get a scholarship at that point. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just that's crazy to me. But now, but speaking of that, so that leads me to my next point is that, I mean, you're talking about looking at players that we hardly even know. So I would have to assume that some of the resources that are available for, in order for you to study them and kind of get to know them are fairly scarce. So if you're just watching a game, you know, if, you're, if you get game tape or something like that, are there any specific traits that you're looking for that will say that, okay, well, this player, he's only, he might be just 18, 19 years old, but he has this specific trait that I know will translate to college and then to the pros, or they, that might be something that I'm going to look, look forward to. I've never truly colored myself as a tape grinder, a guy who's going to watch some tape and say, oh, this guy's going to be a wide receiver one at the next level or an RB1. I use other resources like uh, the ESPN Top 300, 24-7, uh, Top 300, when it comes to incoming freshmen. And then when it comes to guys that are you know, in their freshman and sophomore year of college as far as Debbie players, I'm more looking at um, – I'm Googling like breakout players in college for the, the upcoming season because that, what that will do is it will have players that have – you know, shown decent stats and are going to be moving up on the depth chart or look to have more targets or more carries in the upcoming season. So there are easier ways to do it than watching every single college running back. You know, simple Google things like breakout 2018 players. It's not going to always work out for you, you know, neither is watching tape. So I, I think that in terms of identifying guys you want to draft for Debbie, when it comes to freshmen, you look at ESPN 300 24-7. And in terms of guys that are already in college, you're going to look at, you know, their college stat, um, college football reference pages, and somebody look at depth charts and guys who, you know, um, one example was Alvin Kamara uh, left Tennessee last year and John Co- Kelly stepped into the RB, RB1 role in Tennessee. So he ended up getting a bulk of the carries and a bulk of the receiving work. So um, a, a lot of, of things in that area are just simply, you know, cheating off other people's homework. And at that early stage, you're really, I mean, you can't have much to go off really other than size because, I mean, the players are going to get better they are even going to get bigger in all likelihood. But when you've got these like six, four, six, three guys that they're all out there killing it. So it's really hard to go by that as well, because uh, at, as a freshman, you're not going to be producing nearly as well as you're going to produce as a senior. So it's really hard to predict how that's going to work out. But I would say at that early stage from the little I've done is uh, you're, you're going to look at size and be like, wow, that guy's huge, you know, He's massive, and he's doing things that he's doing on the field. Uh, that's another big thing to go on when, when there's very limited data. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say the one, you know, cautionary tale I would have of that is that not all NFL players are big wide receivers. True, very <laughs> true. Uh, I but, just allude but, to the, the scarcity of data at that point in their career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yes, absolutely. Uh, and basically what, I'm, what I would be more referring to is that the red flag would be if a guy is 5'10 and 160 entering college, like, you know that guy has to add 20 pounds to even can sniff an NFL job. So absolutely. it's one of those things that, I, I mean, I'm much more concerned about weight than I am height, but... Um, either way, I, I agree. When you have very little data, all right, let's take the bigger guy. It might actually work for you. Okay. And that, actually, now that brings me to another thing. So when it comes to you know, the research that you, just, uh, that you just talked about, I mean, how do you even hear about some of these players? I mean, other than you know, the resources that you mentioned, I mean, are you, are you, you know, do you casually hear about some of these folks uh, you know, through social media, uh, some highlight reels here and there? Because I the only thing that I can think of in terms of a, a prospect that I know that are coming out uh, just that I happened to hear about casually was, uh, did you guys see the picture of Evander Holyfield's son carrying the football that came out? What was it like a month or so ago where it looked like he was more or less just carrying like a ping pong ball and his like his like massively large arms. But I mean, I know he's just a sophomore right now, but that's like the first time that I really heard of a player that's really not on the NFL draft radar, but it's somebody that we're going to have to look forward to like, you know, later on down the line. So how do you go about like, you know, coming up with some of these names that, that we're talking about right now? Um, uh, the, the best way is simply just look, look at college football reference stats and guys that, I mean, freshman stats, you kind of have to grade on a curve for the most part, freshmen aren't going to be putting up, you know, 60 catch 1200 yard seasons because they don't get that opportunity and they're, 18-year-old kids playing against 21, 22-year-olds. So uh, I, I think that, you know, you just got to look at the stats and look at depth charts and what, what uh, you know, the beat writers are saying for those particular schools. And so there's a lot of ways to go about it without just saying, oh, I grind tape and Nikhil Harry was going to be a star when he was a 17-year-old. And today brought up a good opportunity for me to share what, um, what I do to find players. Uh, speaking with Nathan today, I had to do a little bit of research and did a little bit of film watching. So the first thing that I like to do is just look at their uh, production so far. So you'll go to um, – I'll do rotowire.com is what I use today. There's a bunch of different resources for that. Uh, you'll check out their production thus far. And then from there, I look at highlight tapes first. And highlight tapes can be very deceiving because um, everybody can put up big plays, you know, eight or nine really big plays. But I like to look at that highlight tape first and see, okay, what this, what's this player really about? And then draftbreakdown.com does a great job of providing film review that's going to highlight the player and show them what the player's got. So from a film perspective, that's the process that I take when identifying a new prospect. And I like that. I mean, because that makes – to me, that that sounds like something that a – I would say somebody that's fairly adept at – trying to identify player value, that's something that they would do, right? They would go through and maybe hop onto a fairly, you know, not necessarily a prominent site, but Rotowire is fairly prominent. So, I mean, they would go onto a site like that, you know, pull up some names, check their highlight reels, and then if things start to, you know, match up and then they're looking through social media or other, like, casual basic research, the same name has to keep coming up like as they're looking through it. So that does, that does kind of make, that does kind of make some sense. So as we're talking about some of these names, I mean, uh, you know, in the picks that you've made in the past, I mean, have, do you have like in your experience, like have you hit on more players like as you're, uh, as you're drafting at a, at a certain position? So have you hit on more wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, or has it just been kind of spread out? 
Uh, I think it can be. It, it's one of those things that I really not um, a large enough sample size. Even I've been playing Debbie for five years, and that's still really not a large enough sample size to say, oh, it's easier to you know pick out wide receivers versus running backs. Um, I'd have to actually you know look at my data of who I've been drafting. But I, I do think that um, in regards to the closer a player gets to the NFL, the more likely you are to hit on that player. So if you're talking about a guy who has shown something as a sophomore, comparing that guy versus a guy who's a freshman. More often than not, I'm going to take the sophomore just because that guy is, A, closer to you know scoring points on my team, and B, is less likely to flame out, whether it be an off-the-field thing or an injury. There's so many things that can go wrong over three years of a college career that you, know, you want to take away as many of those years as possible in making a Debbie pick. So, Nathan, as we uh, start breaking it down and uh, really getting into players here, who's your 101 for the 2019 rookie draft as of now? It's, it's tough because um, there's a ton of great wide receivers in that 2019 class. But I, I will go with Nikhil Harry uh, out of Arizona State, uh, 82 receptions, 1142 yards, eight touchdowns last year. The guy looks like Dez reincarnated but two inches taller. Uh, yep. You know, he, he, he doesn't get the quite the separation that a Julio or an Antonio Brown gets, but he doesn't need it because he boxed out the defender. So, like I said, I'm not a tape grinder, but I, what I see when I see Nikhil Harry is a guy who he's just going to dominate the guy right in front of him, and it's not going to matter the space between them. Right, he's phenomenal, and what I saw on film, this is not a, a player comp or even a size comp, just as a Redskins fan, when I saw him, it made me kind of feel like when I watched Pierre Garçon play, because I knew when Pierre Garçon got the ball, I wasn't worried about him getting hit, I knew he was going to bounce off guys, you know, he was quick enough to get away, as opposed to when Deshaun Jackson got the ball, I'm just like, dude, please get out of bounds, please get down, or run past these dudes. Now, Harry's much larger, but he just that just speaks to the toughness of this kid. Um, I think he's going to do great things, but that seems to be the consensus as of now. Obviously, the consensus might flip four or five times. I have a couple other names that I wanted to talk about. This is from DLF's 19 eligible Debbie players. We've got A.J. Brown and Kelvin Harmon. Would you prefer either of those other the other over the other and uh, want to speak on one of them? I, I think that that's a pretty clear top tier, and I would add a DK Metcalf into that top tier as well. Okay, but uh, all four of those guys are going to go, you know, top five, six of rookie drafts next year. And I mean, I, if I were to pick one today, I would prefer Harmon because I think he's more of a pure receiver today, um, and Brown is a little bit more raw. But I, I think that both are very legitimate guys who could go like top twelve NFL draft next year. So. What we've talked about so far says that there's a ton of talent next year at the wide receiver position, which is kind of the opposite of this year. I mean, there's guys that I like, and I'm sure there's guys you like this year, but we're not seeing any of those guys that um, you're head over heels over. So what I'm wondering is if we're in these rookie drafts and we get to the point where a lot of those top blue chip players are gone, would you be considering trying to target those uh, poor teams that you expect to have early picks next year and trying to get 19 picks for your 18 picks now? Well, the the old adage of, hey, just trade for the early 19 pick or trade for the early future pick is something that's so much easier said than done because the guy who has an early pick isn't just like, oh, I don't know my team stinks. Like, I'm just going to trade away this pick. Right. But right. but in terms of just trading, trading for future picks, uh, we, we did a uh, mock draft on the nice trade cast last night that comes out on Thursday this week. And I kind of get like bored with this class at 104. Uh, like I'll I'll, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, t- I'll take Barkley and I'll take Geis and I'll take Chubb, but after that, like it's just a bunch of like guys who are going to be good NFL players, but none of them are going to be winning me fantasy leagues. So my you know course of action in this scenario is if I can go like the 104 
for like the 203 and the 19 first. That's definitely a move I'm going to be making every day of the week because there is depth. There's a lot of guys who are going to be NFL wide receivers and NFL running backs in this class, even NFL tight ends as well with Mike Gusecki and Mark Andrews um, and uh, Dallas Goddard. Um, So there's enough depth in this class that that, you know, 201 to 207 range is going to be fruitful in producing guys that are going to be fantasy relevant. But I'm not sure uh, Sony Michelle or Calvin Ridley or Cortland Sutton, I'm not sure those guys are anything more than just fantasy relevant as like wide receiver threes, RB2s, things of that nature. Right, and I feel a similar way, which brought me to that strategy myself. The way I thought about it is, now Cortland Sutton's not my wide receiver one, but let's use him for an example because um, if you're comparing him to Nikhil Harry, they're both 6'4", 216, but... Nikhil Harry had 82 receptions, 1,142 yards, eight TDs in his sophomore year. Uh, Sutton finished with 68 receptions, 1,085 yards, 12 TDs, a little more TDs in his junior year. Uh, But the point I'm getting at here is you may be able to swing that first next year to get Nikhil Harry, but I'm also not so sure that I wouldn't rather have either of the two other aforementioned receivers in A.J. Brown and Kelvin Harmon over Cortland Sutton. So a point I'm making there is you might want to take a shot at at least the early pick. Now, you are absolutely correct that um, that team could just completely turn it around. Just because they sucked last year doesn't mean that they're going to suck this year. But if you've got three or four guys that you like next year over the receiver that you're on the clock to pick, uh, it's not a bad idea to try to go get one of those guys. It is certainly loaded next year. But you certainly have to have the, the value of waiting a year. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to trade Cortland Sutton for Nikhil Harry. Yes, I'd rather have Nikhil Absolutely. Harry, but, yep. but Cortland Sutton's going to give me points this year. And I'm and then when if it came to a, just in October, okay, would I rather have Cortland Sutton or Nikhil Harry? I'll probably trade Sutton for Harry. But at this moment, there's just you have to take the value of you're getting points now and you're making that draft pick. Now, people like making draft picks. So if you can trade the 105 for a future pick and something else, like, go ahead and do it just because people like making the pick itself. Right, and you'd have to be in a good position to make that move anyways. And by a good position, I mean rebuilding or I'm planning for – 2020 or something like that if if you're winning right now the move would not be to to try to get a pick next year or acquire a pick next year you would want to take Cortland Sutton there I mean not always though because if your team is loaded and you have you know four or five you know top top 16 top 17 wide receivers you know Cortland Sutton's not going to touch your field uh, touch your you know lineup anyway so yes there's the risk of losing the value there but I, I go for the upside if, if I have enough depth at my position that's a great point. I guess we never really think about the the opposite of an end of the spectrum on how to handle your team when it's very, very good. Well, you got to have good team. You got to have good teams, Adam, for that to happen. So. Yeah, I've never had those. <laughs> uh, I hope to experience that one day. Yeah, I'll probably be that guy that winds up with like Auden Tate on his team or something like that. That'll that'll, that'll probably be me. Uh, so, so now the, that, that's an interesting dis- uh, discussion to have. I mean, when you're talking about players that you can have on your on your roster now, talking about the the Cortland Suttons of the world and whatnot, and then you're looking at folks that you're going to have like farther on down the line. So, so Nathan, how do you value like those you know those players? So, if you were to have like a rookie, a Devi player, and a current NFL player, all of them are fairly similar in what they do on the field. Uh, you know. What's their difference in value based on you know their current standing? How would you value them? It 
it all comes down to your risk profile, how much risk you're willing to take on. The guy who's in the NFL right now has the least amount of risk. The guy who's coming into the NFL this year has the second least. And the guy who's the Debbie has the most amount of risk. But you have to just account for, okay, what are the ceilings and, uh, you know, what's the most likely outcomes for these players? So, I mean, there, there's – like, I mean, let's just throw out like Golden Tate. Like, Golden Perfect. Tate is going, Golden Tate's going to score a decent amount of points this year, but he's never going to be a top five, top six wide receiver. And that's within the range of outcomes for Nikhil Harry. So you can make the argument, okay, let me trade Golden Tate for Nikhil Harry today, even if you know that Golden Tate's going to, you know, put up a nice wide receiver two season this year. So, but as you were saying earlier, that does very much come down to your particular roster composition at that point, correct? Yes, uh, absolutely. Whether you need Golden Tate to make the playoffs or whether, you know, if, if you're a complete rebuild, you don't really have any use for Golden Tate. So maybe try and get Harry a little bit on top, you know, to help strengthen your rebuild. Um, but in, in, in general, when it comes to if you're comparing NFL players with Debbie players, the guy who's being valued similarly at the NFL level is a guy who's proven, but a guy who is more towards the end of his career. And then you have a Debbie player who has all the risk in the world, but also all the upside, a guy who, especially when you're talking about these top you know, type Debbies where they, you know, could be going in the first round of next year's NFL draft or 2020 NFL draft. We're talking about future Debbie as well. So it seems like the huge learning curve when you're picking up Debbie um, over being in typical dynasty is really two years out. seems like the difficult part for me because I can kind of treat the incoming 19 rookies as if the draft already happened in 18 and you can kind of evaluate them. They're going to come into the league next year, barring injury, terrible season, be somewhat similar value so so let's just do an exercise here cam Akers looks like he's gonna be close to the 101 in 2020 um if not definitely i mean you know barring any injury or anything what current nfl player uh, on a typical 12 team super flex ppr do you think you'd see yourself trading straight up for cam Akers? see the story gets a little bit dicey because i mean i love cam Akers and i love the concept of having him on my team but you're waiting two years for it and there's still no guarantee of it ever really coming to fruition. So you're kind of looking at that RB like high end RB two ranges as like an absolute max, like a Jordan Howard, if you aren't a fan of him or um, just off the top of my head, a wide receiver, like, like golden Tate or Marvin Jones, um, all these players that they're not going to win you your league, but they're certainly going to help, you know, on a weekly basis. So basically the guy who's trading cam makers has to have a reason for doing it. And that okay. reason is going to be, for points now and that, you know, get a level, a player at the level of a Jordan Howard or a Marvin Jones is probably because uh, one of the, the one thing is you talk about Cam Akers at the 101, you're not going to get Saquon Barkley type, you know, return of, you know, two, two and a half first because Barkley's the 101 and okay, Akers is going to be the 101. Right. There's, there's no guarantee Akers is that 101 and you have to wait for it. Okay, I got you. So today I listened to uh, the Debbie watch. So we listened to them a little bit and I heard Sammy Watkins for Cam Akers and Nikhil Harry. Is that something that's in the realm of possibility? Because that actually seemed like something I'd do pretty quickly. I'm uh, I'm not against Sammy. You know, I'm not one of the Sammy haters. I think he's a better NFL receiver than he is for your fantasy team. But I think I'd be pretty good with that, obviously, given team construction. What do you think about that trade? I'm a Sammy apologist, and um, a lot of the Sammy hate comes from Twitter. And when you said Sammy for Cam Akers, I was I was thinking you were done talking or you were just going to throw some player that I don't care about at the end. I would have said <laughs> Sammy Watkins easily over the guy you can't play for two years. 
But if we're talking about Sammy Watkins for Cam Akers and Nikhil Harry, that's a lot of upside to, you know, give up if you're the one giving up the Debbie players. So um, that might be one of those trades that I don't really want to make on either side. But if I, if you're, you know, gun to your head, I'll take the college guys because there's so much upside there. And Watkins does have the risk of a guy who's on his third, third team in three years, has shown inconsistencies at the NFL level. So um, if you can flip a guy for, uh, like Sammy for potentially too early first, then that, that's something I'm, I'm willing to do. And since you're a Sammy guy, let's just jump into some dynasty talk here. How do you think that he's going to fit in with the Chiefs this year? My, my fear, so the thing about Sammy Watkins that I talked about all year is that there were two problems, that he got to the Rams late and didn't really get the time to learn the playbook. And B, they were so good without like without really using him outside the red zone that it, right. like that worried me, that it was like, okay, this team is so good that they don't need to use them. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely wanted him to move on to another team. But I feel like he just moved on to another version of the Rams with Absolutely. The, the, the Chiefs because they have so many weapons with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Kareem Hunt that – the Chiefs can have a very explosive offense without seeing Watkins. They don't need that. But we'll see how much they integrate him into the offense. If he ends up being, you know, just a, a deep threat guy who gets, you know, 70, 80 targets, 50 to 60 catches, that's something I'm, I'm willing to live with, um, you know, from a fantasy perspective. Uh, but uh, I, I think that there's certainly risk of him being a low-volume guy. You might have to rely on the touchdowns. And it, it's tough because he doesn't get the credit he deserves as a real quality NFL receiver people need to realize that there's there's it's two different things we have fantasy and we have real nfl because he was making plenty of opportunity for robert woods last year i don't think robert woods has uh near the season he has if he didn't have sammy watkins on the other side which is why on twitter i was so excited about brandon cooks coming uh you know all the robert woods guys like myself and scott fish were pretty you had someone on one side of the fence saying, oh, no, now Robert Woods isn't the wide receiver one. And you had people on the other side of the fence saying what I was saying, bring Brandon Cooks in because Sammy Watkins rolled so many coverages away from Brandon Cooks. Now, my problem with Sammy Watkins going to the Chiefs is, for one, we see, haven't seen Patrick Mahomes yet. And I hate to be that guy. We haven't seen it yet, so we don't know. We, we know he's done pretty well, but does that mean that he can support Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Sammy Watkins and Kareem Hunt in the passing game. And I'm telling you, I think that Spencer Ware might get himself involved as well. So maybe kind of tough for Sammy this year, but definitely rooting for him. Yep, and I would have to agree with you, well, both of you guys here, in that I think that from a talent perspective, I think Sammy earlier on in his in his career showed that I think he's much better than just being a deep threat. Because I think that's what folks have kind of. I think he's you know kind of been typecasted in that particular role. So that's also my my fear for him as well, especially in KC, where, I mean, with Mahomes being there, who knows like what type of passing volume is going to be you know be available for not two, three, but now four different guys. I, I'm just I'm just, I'm thinking that Sammy might be you know that odd man left out. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, we're wrapping up. I think we're about to wrap up for the evening. But uh, Nathan, I just wanted to have one quick, you know, less parting shots like for you. Uh, so when it comes to Devi, I mean, we've gotten into player evaluation. We've gotten into resources. We've gotten into, you know, just tracking or understanding player value in and of itself. I mean, with all that being said, if somebody were to try and get into Devi, what would be, you know, something that, you know, a message or a couple of notes that you would give to them as they're getting started? There, the one, number one note I would give is that people who play Debbie tend to go in two different directions. Either they completely ignore the Debbie and don't, you know, acquire any of the – they trade away their Debbie picks or they don't use money on them in, in auctions or they overdo it. 
the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. You don't need to have all the best devies on your team because they have such a high, you know, risk reward. There's so many busts. I mean, Christian Hackenberg a few years ago was like the top Debbie in Superflex and he hasn't really even played an NFL down yet. So there, there's, there's even at the top, a Nikhil Harry and AJ Brown, Kelvin Harmon, one of those guys is probably going to bust. It's going to suck, but you know, one of those guys is going to bust. There's so much risk involved that you don't want to go all out, but also you don't want to ignore it. Cause then if you ignore the Debbie aspect in a Debbie league, you're never going to get the Todd Gurley's, the Ezekiel Elliott's, all these guys that we know about two, three years in advance of one that are coming in the NFL. So it, it's important to have balance. It's important to have balance in a normal dynasty league, whether you have you know veterans and rookies and picks, but it's also important to have that balance in a Debbie league as well. And Nathan, I'm in no names too with you. Awesome league that you commission, and uh, this is my first year being involved in any sort of Debbie, and I can tell new, new Debbie owners um, – Definitely don't be afraid to get involved in Devi, which I haven't yet because it is scary because you have to almost insert a certain amount of risk into getting involved with the Devi picks because those are guys that you have to – so you're building a win-now roster, but you also have to build for the future. So you have to go get those Devi guys and then just forget you're on their t- on your team. And uh, it's kind of hard to divert some of that capital to – uh, guys that you're not using right now, especially when you're trying to win. But just because you're trying to win now, uh, you're going to hit a rock-solid wall, especially in Devi leagues, if you only focus on win now and you don't at least divert some of that capital to to a little bit of risk in the Devi portion of the league. Now that's interesting. And uh, I think with that being said, I think I am I would definitely be interested in joining a Devi league at this point. Now, my picks might be a little bit off, but I think the format sounds interesting enough that I, I believe that folks would want to get into it as soon as possible. All right, so with that being said, uh, Nathan, again, we appreciate you taking the time tonight. Uh, so as we head out this evening, uh, could you let the folks know like where they can find you at? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at NPALFF. You can find my writing at Dynasty Football. And you can find my talking on the Dice Tradecast on Rotoviz Radio. So uh, check all those things out, and then you'll unfollow me in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. And Adam, same for you, man. Where can the folks find you at? Yeah, you can find me at DHH underscore Adam. Um, and tune in next week for John Bosch and some league psychology. It's going to be fun. That's probably going to make my head hurt uh, more so than anything else with as many different ways as you can slice and dice Dynasty. I think this is going to be – that will probably be a series in and of itself. So I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, I'm Chris Allen yet again. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. Uh, looking forward to speaking more with some, some of the great folks in the Dynasty community. So thanks again, guys, and we'll catch you guys next week.